Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and boy, do I have a great show lined up for you today. Rob Bluey is going to come on in just a moment. Dr. Greg Borgond is going to come on after that and do some incredible teaching. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Pastor Brent McDougall is going to talk about his book, Prayer Power, in the second hour. And then Mark Senius and Ann Sorensen are going to be uh, coming on. They're from the University of Northwestern Communications Department. And I'm not entirely sure what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be fun, I promise. All right, Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal, and he's a regular guest on Tuesday. He is my Washington, D.C. go-to correspondence guy. Rob, welcome once again. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Now, I appreciate you doing the show. I know you've got uh, plans, school plans tonight, something going on with a kid's activity. What is that activity, if I may ask? Uh, well, we're already thinking ahead to the next school year. So we have an open house and we're going to be talking about, you know, different classes and all sorts of fun stuff. So I guess you can't start too early, right? <laughs> no, good point. So I would love to find out what's happening in our nation's capital, what I should, what, what we should be paying attention to. I always invite listeners, if you have a question for Rob, text it over to 877-933-2484. Would you like to start with the, the new Congress and the new speaker? Absolutely. Well, when we talked last Tuesday, Bill, you might remember that we were I, just at the beginning of this, uh, this fight over the House speaker. And finally... Around one in the morning on Saturday, we um, elected a speaker, and it was a long process, much longer than normal, 15 different votes uh, over the course of the entire week. But those 20 Republicans who held out certainly, I think, delivered on, uh, on what they had set out to do. And as a result, the American people will now see a House of Representatives that is much more representative of their interests and not controlled by a single person. Uh, one of the things that has happened over the course of Nancy Pelosi's reign as speaker is that she consolidated power in that office. And as a result, the individual members, the 434 other members, uh, had diminished influence. Uh, and that was certainly not what our founders intended when they created the House of Representatives. It's supposed to be the people's house, and that's what it's um, it's named, at, you know, it's, it's called. Mm -hmm. So what this means is that uh, there will be more great, there will be greater uh, ability of individual members to bring amendments to the floor. There will be more time for members of Congress to actually read legislation before it's just crammed, uh, you know, th through and jammed in at the last minute, as we saw with the massive omnibus spending bill at the end of the year, right before Christmas. There will be uh, more representation of uh, conservatives on uh, key committees like the Rules Committee, which sets guidance on what actually makes it to the floor every week, or the Appropriations Committee, which determines how money is spent. And so it, I, I see it as a victory against the swamp, which, um, you know, is, is no uh, easy thing to do, particularly in a town that's controlled so much by special interests and lobbyists. And so uh, I really commend those those individual members of Congress who faced a lot of pressure and they uh, stood their ground until they were able to get the concessions from from Leader McCarthy. And uh, he was elected speaker after many, many votes. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And Bill, we'll see where it goes uh, from now. They're still working out a lot of those details, and we are still finding out who's running committees. But so far, it seems promising. Well, Rob, the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy did not get the votes he needed all those times, that was almost historic, wasn't it? Or should I say it, something like that hasn't happened in 100 years. That's correct. So 1923 was the last time that you had a speaker election go beyond one one ballot. Okay. Um, and uh, now, I, I don't recall the exact numbers, but you know, in the 1850s, I believe there were you know over a hundred different uh, votes. So I mean, McCarthy didn't obviously approach that level, but it was historic from the standpoint that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there are, there are some <laughs> 100 year olds uh, still out there, and obviously, I don't know if they were paying attention to what was going on in Congress in 1923. But for the rest of us, Bill, it was the first time we've ever seen anything like this in our lifetime. And so, <laughs> from that standpoint, yeah. uh, we were witnessing history, and and I think that ultimately it was a, a good, hopefully, educational moment about how government should work. You know, so often these. These decisions are made in a back room somewhere where the American people don't have any, uh, you know, insight or knowledge about what's happening. I, I heard so many people comment that they were watching C-SPAN because they uh, were able to see, you know, different shots of, of how the house operated. Normally, the C-SPAN cameras are trained in and locked in a certain certain location. You can't pan throughout the uh, the body there to see the different angles. And and I hope that um, Leader McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, now is able to, um, to to make a change like that. Because I do think that if we want our, our citizens to be educated about how government works, uh, you know, having these debates out in public is a good thing. Yeah, you're thinking about 100 years ago, your, your barber was also your dentist. You know, it's kind of, back then it was uh, kind of a different world. So this hasn't happened in 100 years. Now, when he gets doesn't get the votes he needs, at some point do they say, we got to find somebody else, or does he just keep trying to get the votes he needs? How does that work? He was determined, and and you might recall that uh, it was a few years ago when when John Boehner was forced to step down as Speaker, and uh, Kevin McCarthy was you know presumed to be next in line. Uh, that uh, he made a play and uh, and and wanted to be elected by his his fellow Republicans in 2015 to that top spot. Mm -hmm. But there were a number of conservatives at that point who said, no way, we are not going to vote for McCarthy. And he backed down. That's how Paul Ryan ended up as, as Speaker of the House from 2015 to 2019. And McCarthy moved back into uh, the Republican majority leader. Well, I think that that experience taught him something about persistence and perseverance. And he was not going to back down. And so, yes, he negotiated, you know, certain deals and uh, and made agreements with this block of of uh, of lawmakers to to get over the hump. Um, but as he said in his acceptance speech from the speaker's podium, uh, that his father often told him, "It's not how you start; it's how you finish." And I think that that was what was really motivating him to keep going. Um, well, ultimately, what happened, Bill, was there was an agreement with about 15 of the Republicans who were holding out, and they decided to cast their votes for McCarthy, but that still didn't put him over the top. He could only lose a total of four votes. And ultimately, uh, the members, um, there were about six of them who decided to vote present. And because they voted present and they didn't vote for somebody else or they didn't um, 
you know, cast their votes, obviously, for the Democrat. McCarthy was able to emerge victorious with 216 votes to Hakeem Jeffries' 212 votes. He's the Democrat from New York. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it ultimately ended up. But, uh, but you know, I think it teaches something, it teaches us all about, <laughs> you know, um, you know, negotiating, compromising, uh, not giving up. I mean, there are a lot of lessons for individual Americans uh, to, to learn from this experience. And uh, one thing I neglected to mention is the one of, one of the sticking points was this idea of the, the motion to vacate. Now, this was an idea first put in place by Thomas Jefferson hundreds of years ago and was uh, removed by Speaker Nancy Pelosi because the, the motion to vacate was famously used by uh, former Congressman Mark Meadows, that was ultimately the downfall of John Boehner when he was Speaker, and McCarthy wanted to put a put, bring it back, but, but require five members of Congress to agree uh, in order for it to be effective. The motion to vacate essentially is is a vote of no confidence in the Speaker, and McCarthy, after the negotiations, to his credit, uh, went back to the way it has historically been, and so a single member of Congress can raise this motion to vacate. And I, I, I honestly think that, um, that that conservatives will not abuse that. I know that some commentators have said that this is, you know, going to mean a very short tenure on McCarthy's part because if he loses on that motion, it'll effectively end his speakership. But I think if he continues to govern, if he continues to pay attention to the concerns of the uh, members of of Congress, there, um, you know, he can be successful. There will be some tough challenges, including a fight over the debt limit and spending bills and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, that's what ultimately a speaker needs to do. He needs to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. If you have a question for Rob, what's going on in our uh, country, and you want to send it over on the text line, the number is 877-933-2484. And we're, we're going to go to break here in just a minute. But, Rob, I want to ask you about what's going on with the Biden administration and them rewriting a law against sending abortion drugs by mail. Yes, thank you for asking about this. We have a great story explaining all of the details by my colleague Tom Jipping um, at The Daily Signal, again, dailysignal.com. And essentially what we have here is, this was new to me as well, Bill, um, we have a federal law which was first enacted in 1873, which prohibits the U.S. Postal Service from delivering what they term as non-mailable matter. And that includes anything designed or intended to produce an abortion. And so fast forward from 1873 to 2022, after the Dobbs decision was handed down last year, uh, the Postal Service asked the Justice Department, obviously controlled by the Biden administration, uh, for guidance on mailing mifepristone and misoprostol. I hope I'm pronouncing both of those correctly. And the just before Christmas, two days before Christmas, the Justice Department responded and said that there is nothing that prohibits the mailing of those drugs. Um, and that obviously is of, of, of grave concern to those of us who are pro-life and want to see abortion eliminated and concerned about the Biden administration using whatever levers of power, including the FDA now, uh, to make abortion more accessible. And so uh, we have this you know, dispute now, and uh, we'll see ultimately where it goes, but I think it's troubling because as we, as we have seen, as abortion clinics close down, uh, the, the, the pro-abortion groups have turned to other methods, chemical mm-hmm. abortions, abortion by mail, 
as a way to circumvent some of those obstacles that have uh, have confronted them. And so it just goes to show that the, the pro-life movement needs to focus on the next battlefield. Uh, we will obviously have the March for Life on, on January 20th coming up in just a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. They will be taking a different route this year. They, instead of walking, to, marching to the Supreme Court, they will be marching to the U.S. Congress because the battle is really there in state legislatures. We need Congress to, to weigh in on this. We need state legislatures um, where they can take action. And, uh, and that is really where the Supreme Court has now returned this issue. Mm-hmm. Will this bill that was uh, sent uh, ahead, will this get to the Supreme Court? Uh, well, you know, it's so hard to predict. Yeah. I mean, I, I think anytime you have, have a conflict, obviously, between courts or there's, there's an issue where the Supreme Court needs to clarify an earlier ruling, uh, we, we even see that in, in cases this year. Um, obviously, there the, the, some of the big cases this year involve affirmative action at, at colleges and universities, which is you know, a, revisiting an issue from about 20 years ago that the Supreme Court decided. So, yeah, anything's possible, uh, Bill, but, uh, you know, too soon to say, I think, as to, to, to how it's ultimately resolved. Mm-hmm. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. If you have a question for Rob, send it over, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. There's that Rob Bluey theme song. Rob Bluey is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. Head to dailysignal.com. Here's a question, Rob. Is the elimination of 87,000 new IRS agents a done deal now? Or is there a way this can be overturned by the Biden administration? Thank you. I've got two things I want to say about this, Bill. <laughs> okay. um, and, and sorry, I, I, might, I don't want to take us too far afield, but I'll answer the question first. But then I, I do want to make a, a second point, <laughs> um, which involves uh, our, our coverage of this issue for the Daily Signal, actually. So, um, so the, the issue is the, uh, the, the last Congress and President Biden signed into to law the Inflation Reduction Act, which you know, had many provisions, in, including this one, which delivered more money to the... Um, the administration for for the purposes of, of IRS enforcement and and the, the hiring of, of agents and so you know it's it's hard to obviously rescind things in Washington D.C. as we know especially when you have a, a, a president in the White House who supports it and a, and a, and a Democrat controlled Senate which is unlikely to pass it but I, there are there are certainly steps that uh, that the new Republican majority has already taken including the introduction of a bill yesterday which would do exactly this. And so, uh, yes, uh, I would expect that they are going to keep the focus on this because, I've got, of course, the concern about the, the hiring of these agents is that they will target individual um, Americans who really have done nothing wrong but subject them to audits when, in fact, you know, there, there could be a, a much greater use. So Republicans don't want to completely eliminate all the money that goes to the IRS. They recognize that there are some needs in terms of upgrading computer systems and, and making it operate a little bit more efficiently, I guess, in some areas. But, uh, but yeah, the, they want to certainly 
uh, take out uh, the rest of the funding. What I was going to mention is uh, la- or right before the, the new year, uh, there's uh, a, a news rating agency called NewsGuard, uh, which evaluates organizations like the Daily Signal or the New York Times and, and gives us a rating. And for many years, we had a 100% rating. And, you know, really um, enjoyed, uh, you know, working with NewsGuard and, and thought that they were uh, treated us fairly. They contacted us and took issue with, the, with our reporting on the 87,000 IRS agents. And in the process of what uh, of their evaluation, they came back to us and they, they told us that they were downgrading our score because there was an independent fact checker that they apparently believed over us that said that uh, the whole story about the 87,000 agents was, was, was made up. It was, it was not true. The money was going to be spent on, on something completely different by the IRS. And, and how do we know this? Because the Treasury Department said so. Hmm. So despite uh, the fact that you and I you know, talk about this, this issue, uh, there seems to be an alternative universe uh, out there that <laughs> believes that the 87,000 you know, never really happened. And so uh, we, we took a hit on that from, from NewsGuard. Wow. Our score was downgraded. And I thought I would just mention it because it, it just goes to show that, um, you know, we talk about misinformation all the time. <laughs> and here, here's an example of where we're citing government information from, from, from this, uh, this administration. And you have, an, 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 you know, this, this agency that rates us and, uh, and downgrades our score as a result. So alternative universe, if you will, Bill. Wow, that is absolutely the truth. All right, Rob, my next question, I will read verbatim. You ready? Okay. How did the Daily Signal view Biden's staged border visit? Yeah, um, certainly critically. Uh, your listeners should should know, and they probably already do, that this was the first time in two years that, that President Joe Biden actually visited the border. Now, this was controversial because, remember, he undid all of the policies of the previous administration that were really kind of effectively combating the border crisis, if you will. And the situation that we, we now find ourselves in is, is one that's terrible. I mean, we have so many people uh, in communities all across this country who are dealing with fentanyl overdoses uh, and all of the other challenges that come with, with the border crisis. So for Joe Biden to go down there on his way to Mexico for this summit, I think signaled two things. Number one, that it's a political problem for him and Democrats as he ponders re-election. Uh, you've even had some some Democrats uh, speaking out forcefully that they need to do this administration needs to do more to get the situation under control. And, and secondly, uh, I think that the political pressure applied to him by Republicans and the fact that they are now going to be demanding the impeachment of the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, signaled to Biden that even if it was kind of a face saving or PR stunt that he needed to go and do this. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob, let's shift back to uh, misinformation because there was some YouTube uh, censored doctors and not to mention one of the Heritage Foundation experts uh, for medical misinformation on COVID-19. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, the Daily Signal has faced its share of censorship from YouTube, so not necessarily surprising that YouTube would do this, but it is I think, <laughs> you know, particularly problematic when YouTube takes a decision, makes a decision like this and doesn't give you a clear answer as to why it's doing it. And so this was an event um, held, uh, uh, you know, last year and the video was posted on YouTube, you know, basically just a, a panel discussion of, of, of leading experts in the medical community talking about COVID-19 and various aspects of it. And uh, YouTube has a very strict 
COVID-19 misinformation policy, as they call it. And it was decided that they would um, uh, censor this video. So it was removed from YouTube's platform. Uh, the video can be found, by the way, on, on other platforms, including Rumble. But, uh, you know, obviously YouTube being the biggest player in, in the, the video space, is it, you know, you, its users no longer have access. Uh, this was um, troubling, as I mentioned, because YouTube would not tell us, they would not tell the organization that posted the video specifically why it was removed. Now we can we can make guesses and assumptions as to to why, but I think that as we've seen them censor Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, as we they, we've seen them take down you know other content related to COVID nineteen, there is still a fear of people talking about different aspects of COVID nineteen, the treatment, the vaccine, you name it. Uh, that still has these big tech companies concerned. Uh, we've seen Elon Musk uh, at Twitter expose a lot of the the back um, backroom conversations that took place at that that company uh, about censorship decisions. And uh, this is why we want to continue to cover these things because we don't think the American people are served well by big tech when they make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Rob, here's a couple of disturbing stats. 51% of all children in America right now are born out of a wedlock, 51%. Let's go back to 1950, 4% of Americans were born out of wedlock. There's an issue it's, with fatherlessness, isn't there? It, it sure is. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a good conversation that my colleague Virginia had with Pastor Chris uh, Velotten, and he's the author of a new book called Uprising, the Epic Battle for the Most Fatherless Generation in History. You got the numbers exactly right, Bill. You know, there are a number of factors here. I, I think if you go back to, to the Great Society and that era under President uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, you saw the government make some decisions that I think led us down this path. And the creation of welfare programs and the marriage penalty and other things that discourage families, but also, you know, the, the, the changing culture, the sexual revolution, all that stuff that was taking place in, in the 1960s. Uh, what, what you saw was, you know, at a time when churches really played a, a big role and, and you know, were, were more involved in the lives of, of people, I, I think that, you know, that was a factor. I think the, um, uh, the, the rise of transgenderism and gay marriage and other things that have changed our culture so significantly, uh, we can, I, I place the blame also on, on Hollywood and entertainment and for not emphasizing the important role that fathers play in the lives of children. And now we do. We, do, we experience the consequences of this. And it's, um, it's led us down the path of, of many challenges. I, I, I think that uh, we, we see it um, so many different ways. And I'll just relate one quick story. When, when we moved uh, to our, our new community, we met with the, the school principal before we did. And we asked him, what made the school uh, you know, score so highly uh, in, in many of the factors. And he said, it's the fact that you have two parent households in this mm. community. Wow. And I think that it, it just has a great many uh, factors, everything from education to the success of, of somebody's um, uh, life. So, so Bill, I really encourage fathers out there, if, if you're having challenges, uh, you know, seek counseling or help from your church, whatever you can, um, marriage is so important for your kids. Amen. Rob, thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. Thank you, Bill. Have a you great bet. week. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest. He is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. Check it out. So coming up uh, next, Dr. Greg Borgon's going to join me, and um, we're going to talk about arrogant ignorance. I'm not even sure what that means, but here's a great quote to get things started. Uh, Vance Havner said, It is bad enough to be ignorant when it can't be helped. It is a thousand times worse to be ignorant on purpose. Hmm, that's next.
afternoon show with Phil Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Phil Arno. I don't know who's counting, but today marks the 60th appearance on the show <laughs> by Dr. Greg Borgon. He's been a longtime friend, and he is the uh, president and founder of Heart of a Warrior's Ministry. Go to heartofawarriors.org to learn more about him, learn about his blog, his books, and his incredible passion to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> Greg, it's good to be here. <laughs> arrogant ignorance. I don't even know what that means. Let's get into it. All right. Well, you know, this this whole issue has been welling up in me because, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a peripheral observer of our culture. And so I'm trying to kind of make sense of the nonsensical, and it seems to be that the more I hear of late, the more nonsensical it's becoming. So, But in my lifetime, I've seen a really a gradual decline of logical reasoning. So I couldn't sleep two nights ago and got up early in the morning and wrote this article. And so let me just share a couple of paragraphs, a kind of an introduction, Bill, of this subject about arrogant ignorance, um, and I hope that the listening audience will relate to it or understand it, and hopefully it's helpful to them. So often, and I'll let me begin by just starting with those paragraphs, often when listening to politicians, celebrities, and other self-proclaimed authorities spewing comments lacking any coherence or basis in objective truth, I shake my head in amazement how they could possibly come to the conclusions they do. Not only do their remarks seem illogical, lacking in any real support for their argument, they are arrogant about their ignorance. Mm. In an article originally written in 2017 titled The Dangers of Arrogant Ignorance by Jonah Goldberg, senior fellow in ASNES chair in Applied Liberty, he observed that political polarization is fueled by plain old ignorance. He further states, ignorance means you lack knowledge about something. The problem is that ignorance, being the absence of knowledge, is a vacuum, and nature abhors a vacuum. Quoting an admired historian, Daniel Borston, um, he goes on to say, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. It is a common human foible to think you know more than you do, and to assume that when someone, particularly someone you don't like, says something you don't understand, that the fault must be in the speaker, not the listener. Hmm. In, a, in another article, a blog actually, uh, by author Court Visser, uh, he offers some advice on how to deal with the arrogant yet ignorant state of mind. <clears throat> he makes this comment. Because we may be unaware of our ignorance, we may feel very confident of our untrue beliefs. The confidence we feel about the truth of our beliefs is a rather unreliable unreliable indicator of their truthfulness. When we have no other means of determining the validity of our beliefs than our own subjective confidence that they are true, we may become arrogant while we are also ignorant. So I think to exacerbate the issue... The spontaneity of Twitter or YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and a myriad of other opinion platforms on TV showcase in bold relief the prevalent disease that I'm calling arrogant ignorance. So when you supplant objective absolute truth, which are facts that can't be changed and are always true no matter the circumstances, 
with subjective or relative truth, which is based on opinion or feelings and relative to the norms of one's own culture, it further compounds the problem. So, Bill, in my opinion, the source of the problem rests on two causes. One, the blindness perpetuated by the enemy over our fallen world, because he has control over this fallen Mm -hmm. world and unbelievers. And two, the unwillingness of those who know better to call out arrogant ignorance. So I have a phrase that I've used in the past, but it seems to apply here. When sin goes unabated or unchallenged, its shrill voice grows louder. So when we hear this, see this, listen to this uh, malady called arrogant ignorance, the volume is increasing. So I believe the enemy is increasing his efforts today to impair our vision of objective truth and lead us to support untruths, a new kind of form of bondage. So independence, in my view, from our Creator in His truth produces dependence on the world and its darkened ideologies. So let me just share a little bit now about what I feel is the road to darkness, to this malady called arrogant ignorance. So as followers of Christ, we're not immune to the malady of arrogant ignorance. And in fact, Scripture describes the road to arrogant ignorance in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. For the non-believer, a similar passage written to non-believers is found in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18 to the end of that chapter. So it talks about a similar pathway to people who don't know Christ leading down this dark road, um, as well as Christians have that same problem of being able to be led down that dark road. Let's begin, Bill, with Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this and insist on it. This is Paul speaking now to Christians. In the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So Paul is insisting. In other words, he doesn't ask. He doesn't plead. He isn't addressing them on his own authority. He insists on what he's about to tell them in the Lord's name. Hmm. Then there's another phrase, no longer live as the Gentiles. What does that mean? Uh, What it means is, in godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, which is found in Romans 1.18. So it's a pattern of our previous life in a manner that shows no distinction from what was to what is or should be, inconsistent with our new nature in Christ, in the squalor of our self-sufficiency, in the sinful habits of our past. And then there's this amazing phrase, in the futility of their thinking, which simply means in emptiness, transientness, depravity of mind, uselessness. For the non-believer, we see something similar in Romans 1, 21 through 23, which says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but uh, their thinking became futile, hmm. and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. And then you have this phrase, you know, the thinking in hearts and minds. Now, these words are used interchangeably, Bill, in the Old Testament and New Testament, and they mean what they're really meaning is that they constitute the very core of our being, who we really are, when all the layers like defenses uh, callousness, experiences, protections, environmental conditioning are, are kind of peeled away. 
Um, so the heart or the mind is the seat of all of our beliefs, values, attitudes, and motives that we believe, what we esteem, what we perceive, and what we're driven by. So let's continue with um, Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Let me first say this kind of as an introduction. The gradual road built to ignorance, in my view, and ultimately to darkness begins with progressive and incremental compromises. Boy, amen to that. Yeah. I mean, we make these inch-by-inch compromises, and before we know it, it leads to the largest compromise, an Mm -hmm. abandoning of our beliefs and values. And wouldn't that be the way the enemy would prefer, just to have you make a small, tiny compromise? Yeah, we think it's going to be something major. We're always looking for that big cataclysmic event that does that kind of thing. But the enemy is smart. And he patient. disguises himself. And patient. And patient. Mm-hmm. And it's just incremental, chipping yeah. away, if you will. So when we're talking about here is we begin to sacrifice our beliefs and values on the altar of expediency. So we start to concede our beliefs and values to those of our culture. We begin to take our faith for granted and loosen our spiritual moorings. And then this is gradual. This is incremental. More specifically, we become lazy Christians. We're no longer in the Word for clarification. We refer to the Word, but we don't spend any time in it, and we become Mm -hmm. lazy Christians. We gradually abandon our devotional life. We make concessions to our sinful desires. We avoid accountability and become inattentive to our spiritual development. In other words, Bill, we stop learning and growing in the Lord. So, This road to unraveling our faith follows a predictable pattern we find in this passage outlined and beginning with uh, verse 18. Shall I read it? Ephesians 4, please do, Bill. Ephesians 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So this gradual compromising is a gradual hardening of your heart Mm -hmm. that leads to these other things. So the hardening of our hearts leads to desensitization, and a darkened understanding leads to a distorted worldview, which produces this kind of growing ignorance or a dulling of our awareness of the truth. This, in turn, leads to an increasing absence from worship and fellowship that alienates us from the life of God. So it kind of separates us from the life of God, as the verse indicates. We stop going to church and being with other Christians. We begin to conjure up reasons for removing ourselves from these kind of life-giving sources. We're playing right into the hands of the enemy, the devil who prowls about, it says in Scripture, probing our defenses, looking for our weaknesses, seeking out his prey mm. in 1 Peter 5.18. Now let's look at verse 19. Would you read that for us, Bill? Yes, Ephesians 4, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You can see this downward spiral, which is unraveling us, our faith, is this road to darkness. So we begin to lose our sin sensitivity. What was black and white for us in the past, now all of a sudden this gray area starts to grow. It becomes larger than either the black and white of the truth we've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. So we become desensitized. Our hearts become callous, leading us away from 
our faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever developed a callus, but once the callus is formed, there's no feeling on that callus. You'd have to cut away the callus to get feeling back into what that callus is, is over at the time. So that can happen to your heart when we start to lose this sensitivity. We become callous, leading us away from our faith. We begin to rely entirely on our senses then, what we can actually see, hear, and touch for our basis of reality. So this accommodation to this nonsense leads to gradual immersion in sensuality, greedy to practice, as it says in this passage, every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see how arrogant ignorance or futile thinking, as the Apostle Paul calls it, happens to secular mindsets in general and believers in particular. So here is the order. It's not in the order that it's actually presented in the passage, because if you follow the language carefully, you start to see what the true order is. And here's the order. First of all, there's a hardening of the heart, which is um, facilitated by a gradual desensitization and compromises. These many compromises, M-I-N-I compromises we were talking about. So the heart begins to be hardened, which leads to number two, the next step down or along this road to darkness, to darkened understanding. Then step three is we begin to become arrogant. And not only arrogant, but as I've suggested, we're arrogant about, the arrog- about our ignorance. Mm-hmm. We become, uh, it's a growing ignorance. Number four, a separation from the life of God. We start separating ourselves from the very things that give life to us. Fellowship with other believers, worship, um, being a member of the community of followers of Christ. And because we start making excuses, we don't want to be around those hypocrites anymore. It's amazing to me. Where are hypocrites going to go to church, if not at church? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we start to make excuses and criticize what gave us life. Number five, we get involved in consuming sensuality that begins with the senses. And then the ultimate consequence, it leads to this futile thinking or ignorance. Mm. So there's a way to get off of this road, and maybe we can touch on that, Bill. I would love to figure out how to get off this road, and we will do that after a short break. Dr. Greg Borgond is my guest. You can learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. We'll be right back. Am I going slow? Sign up for the free Bible in a Year reading plan at MyFaithRadio.com and get everything you need to follow the plan each day and stay on track, including a printed schedule. Sign up now at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm talking to Dr. Greg Borgon. Our topic today is arrogant Ignorance. This is how you arrive there. You start with hardness of heart, darkened understanding, growing ignorance, separation from the life of God, consuming sensuality, and futile thinking. Greg, how do we get off this road? <laughs> it would be nice if we how could we just stop it? step off it, right? Yes. So how can uh, this disintegration we're experiencing be stopped? How can the malady of arrogant ignorance be remedied? 
So let me give you, I talked to you a bit about this downward or this road to darkness. So let me just rephrase that or reframe it. Let me share with you what the road to light is out of that darkness. First of all, acknowledgement and um, submission and repentance and confession, that's the only response that can halt the downward spiral and prevent this kind of disintegration of our character and our integrity. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 now, verses 20 through 24. Let's begin with uh, 20 and 21. Would you mind reading that for us, Bill? I will. Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So the first phrase that that kind of steps out at us is to know Christ that way, that you, however, did not come to know him that way. In other words, it wasn't a knowledge about him, it's a knowledge of him. So Christ is the subject matter of, of our education. And then it says further on in verse 21, surely you heard of him, hearing with the goal of understanding. In other words, not just listening, but hearing with the goal of understanding. You heard him, not heard of him. There's a difference. Jesus himself being the teacher. And then it goes on and at the end of verse 21 to say, we're taught in him uh, in accordance with the truth. Jesus is the very environment within which learning takes place. So the path to right thinking and hence to right living is through Jesus. So lasting behavioral change doesn't happen unless the belief system within the heart-mind is changed. That lies, uh, the lies that need to be replaced, actually, with truths. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then in John 8, 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, it's calling us to be obedient to his teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, First of all, uh, the road to light is knowing Christ. It's understanding, it's acknowledgement and submission and repentance and confession based on the life of Christ and what he came to do for us. So that's, that's the beginning. Would you read for us, Bill, verses 22 through 24? I will indeed. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what's interesting about this amazing passage is this bookend phrase, put off and put on. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about, and then in the middle is this thing about being made new in the renewal of our minds. So at conversion, the Christian sheds or strips off his, his or her old, ragged, filthy garments and puts on fresh, new set of clothes. He doesn't just dust off his old clothes. It's a brand new set of clothes. So we put off our old self through repentance and confession, which is a completed one-time action. When you read this in the Greek, the, the tense that's used, Bill, is called eros tense. It's a one-time completed action. It's not going through every single day and putting off and putting off and mm-hmm. putting off. It's a one-time event that happens at the moment of conversion. Good to know. And then the putting on um, the new self through regeneration and justification, again, aorist tense, a completed one-time action. 
So the putting off and the putting on are one-time events. The in-between phrase are being made uh, new or the renewing is in the Greek it's called a present infinitive, which simply means it's it's indicating the need for an ongoing continual growth. Mm-hmm. So once you put off the old nature and you put on the new nature, you begin to live in accordance with that new nature, which is progressive sanctification. It's the renewing of your mind each and every day, bathing in the Word of God and being obedient to it. And that's what starts to make this transformational change that you become what you know you already are in Christ because you put off the old nature and put on the new nature. Now, the old self and the new self, it's possible to have the old... It, it is, the question you might want to ask is, is it possible to have the old nature, the old self, and the new nature reside in the same body at the same time? Hmm. When we came into spiritual union with God through the new birth, we didn't add a new divine nature to the old sinful nature. We exchange natures. The exchange occurred at conversion. We were changed from darkness to light, from sinner to saint, and we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. So, in effect, the Scripture is very clear about this, Bill. It says, we were delivered, uh, we were delivered, or we, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his Son, Colossians 1.13. We are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, Romans 8.9. You were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new things have come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And then finally, before we were by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2.1 and 3, now we are partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.14, or 1.4. So that's pretty powerful. So in the attitude of your minds, the mind, heart, which are your beliefs, values, attitudes, and motives, must change before behavior changes. Right thinking actually produces right living. So let me just summarize, Bill, if I, if I could quickly here, that um, we're created to be like God, it says in this passage. In Romans eight twenty nine. for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians three eighteen, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let me just summarize it very succinctly, if I could, Bill. Number one, what I would encourage the audience, the listeners, to do is don't live as you once did or as others still do. Okay. Number two, the downward spiral or this road to darkness begins with compromise. Don't compromise. I don't find that word any place in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Three, acknowledge, acknowledgement, submission, repentance, and confession is the only way up to light. Simple enough. And then number four, act in accordance with who you already are in Christ. And finally, leave your tattered clothes behind. They don't fit anymore. <laughs> Amen. I like it. I like it. You know, when I'm looking at Ephesians 5.8, Greg, and, and it says you were formerly darkness, you are now light in the Lord. I think, well, you weren't living in darkness, you were darkness. Yes, exactly. That's even scarier, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. It is. Which means we have no capacity to turn on the light except to go to the electrician himself, Jesus Christ. Turn on the lights. (laughs) Yeah. And that you were delivered uh, from the domain of darkness and transformed 
transferred to the kingdom of his son. Yeah. Powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful. I mean, it's new citizenship. I mean, we're now citizens of the kingdom of God. We're to reflect his glory. We're to mirror his image uh, to a fallen world. And so it's to bring light into the darkness. So whatever light you have, audience, it's all the brighter against a darker background. I don't care how big your flame is. It's all the brighter against a darker background. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate uh, the teaching on the one and done of the old, putting away the old, putting yep. off the old and, and taking on the new. Yeah, that's, that, that's, what, it, that's what the tense indicates. That, that's a one and done, isn't it? That's a one and done. Yeah, so good. Well, Greg, I have to say for your 60th appearance on the show, this was a hit. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate I, being I enjoyed here. It. I will look at this again. And as that Vince Havner, who you apparently met right before yeah, he passed away. Yeah, just before his death, yeah. Yeah. My passive mentor. Yeah. I, I love his quote, and I may read it again just to close things out. Sure. It is bad enough to be ignorant when it can't be helped. It is a thousand times worse to be ignorant on purpose. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. think about that one for a while. <laughs> All right, Greg, thanks so much. Have oh, a great welcome. rest of your day, and All God right, bless sure you. Will. All right, Dr. Uh, Greg Borgon has been my guest. If you want to learn more about Greg... Read his blog. Find out about his books. You can go to heartofawarrior.org, heartofawarrior.org. We're going to talk about prayer when we come back and the power of prayer. Um, Brent Patrick McDougall will be my guest, and he's talking about the uh, prayer as the way that we are going to open the door to the blessings of God, and I can't wait to learn more about that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.